Hope you have your Bibles and you'll open to Psalm chapter three for us today. I would encourage you to do a couple things. One was get out your Bibles for sure. Uh, maybe grab your journal, if you will. I'd really encourage you to continue to uh, practice the discipline of, of highlighting or underlining or um, marking up your Bibles. I know we're not all, we don't all love that or are comfortable with that. So if you don't enjoy marking up your Bible, please do that in your journal. And so make sure you have maybe a paper or a pen or something like that. I wanna give you some notes today that I hope you'll take uh, down and then uh, work on applying these to your own personal uh, time with God and to your small groups. I'd love to give you just some practical ways to apply the discipline of lamenting to your life um, and then for allow you to practice that. So by taking down some notes, I think it'll be helpful. Um, got a couple questions for you just as we start today, as we continue our series on uh, living with lamenting and longing, the Psalms of Lament. So just a couple questions for you to think in your head and in your heart. How, how was your week? How'd your week go? I don't know if you're like me at all, but sometimes the weekend uh, is busy as well, and so there's not time to reflect. Is this weekend one of those for you maybe? We're busy uh, with people, activities, sports, different things like that, where you're like, man, I showed up. I'm grateful I showed up, but my head maybe not be here right now. My heart might not be here right now. I have not had a moment to even think. How was your week? Maybe wrestle with this question as we dive, continue our series. What suffering or difficulty or injustice did you experience this week, if any? I'm just curious if you've wrestled with that at all this weekend. What difficulty or suffering or injustice did you experience this week, if any? It's a good question to process and to think. Or maybe this one. What suffering or injustice did you see in the world this week? Maybe it was you watched the morning news getting ready for work or maybe social media and you interacted with some difficult stories that are happening throughout the world. It's good to reflect on those and to wrestle with those truths that you interacted with this week. Another question for you. Who do you talk to about the problems you see in your life or in the world? Who do you go to? A difficult situation happened this week. Who do you talk to? Who do you call? Who's that first contact um, that you think of when difficulty happens? For many of us, it's probably the person you're sitting next to right now. Praise God for that, that you have somebody in your life that you can talk to, go on a walk with, digest the information and the information you received this week. We all need people like that in your life. My hope and prayer is that you'll not only have that individual, but you'll have a community, you'll have a small group, people that you can process life with and, and difficulty with. I know our small group did this on Thursday night. H how'd it go? How'd this week go? How you doing? How are you lamenting? How are you processing how you're doing? You see, lamenting teaches us how to process difficulty. Biblical lamenting or right lamenting, lamenting is simply expressing to God the problems we see in the world. That's what lamenting is. God, this is what I see. This is what I've interacted with. This is what I've, uh, information I've gained this week. I, I'm, I'm struggling to process or I need to process it. That's lamenting, biblical lamenting. Without proper lamenting, 
you and I will tend to wallow, blame, or rage. That's the natural instinct. When difficulty happens, when trials come, when hardships, uh, we're met with hardships, natural responses is wallow um, or rage. Biblical lamenting is the right way to process difficulty. Lamenting teaches us to deal with the brokenness we see in the world appropriately. That's why this series is so powerful. That's why the book of Psalms, the book of Lamentations is so important because it teaches us to deal with the brokenness we see in the world appropriately. My hope for this series is that at the end of it, we will learn to lament better individually and as a church body. Be very beneficial for us. So open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 3. I believe that Psalm chapter three teaches us two things. It teaches us to process lamenting and it teaches us the results of lamenting. The process and the results of biblical lamenting. Psalm three, let me read it for you. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Selah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. Psalm 3 teaches us how to lament, especially when we experience fear. Psalm 3 teaches us a simple three-step process to lament and to help others lament. We're not going to dive into the cultural relevance of this text. We're not going to look at the history of what David's going through much. I'll reference it a little bit. But what I'd prefer to do is allow Psalm 3 to be an education for us on how to lament. So this for sure has a, um, historical significance to it um, that I'll reference in just a moment, but let's just use it as an outline. So please take notes, be ready with a pen to write this down. I think this has been very helpful for me over the last several weeks as I've processed to teach me how to be a better lamenter, somebody who turns to God quicker. And so that's really my hope for you as we walk through this. I'm gonna give you three steps Three simple steps on how to lament well. The first one you'll see in verses one and two. David, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, teaches us that it's okay and right to describe your sufferings, to lay them out before God. Lament is simply describing the brokenness you see in your life or in the world. Lament is telling God what isn't right with what you see. It's taking the information, the, the difficulties, the, the, the tragedies in the world and expressing them to God. That's part of lament. 
It's addressing the one who cares the most about the brokenness in the world. You learn, you hear a story, a tragedy, a trial. It's you approaching the one who cares more, addressing him, going to him with with the hardships and the difficulties. Just to help you understand a little bit about the historical background, what we're told about Psalm 3 is it's David fleeing from his son Absalom. For more context, I'd really encourage you to read 2 Samuel chapter 15, chapters 15 through 19. It helps us see this terrible, terrible circumstance. For the sake of time, I'm not gonna go into it for you, but can you imagine the hardship and the difficulty of the fear of running for your life, hiding for your life from your son. Man, what a terrible tragedy David's in right now. And this is David taking what is happening in his life and going to his heavenly father, telling him about the injustice around him. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm the youngest child. I'm the baby of the family that tells you a lot about me. I'm a big baby. And growing up, I learned the beauty of this idea of lament. I think babies are good lamenters. Babies of the family are typically good lamenters. My brother would call it tattletelling. I would call it lamenting. So being a baby of the family, right? Like your older siblings are a little bit bigger than you, a little bit tougher than you. And so sometimes they use that strength to their advantage. And so I quickly at a young age learned this beautiful gift to yell for mom or dad, to cry out their name. And I would justify it because I thought mom and dad would wanna know about the injustice that's happening in the basement. They need to know about this. They will come to my, my response. And so be, being just a good child, this is all it was, was just being a good child, I would cry out for help for my mom and dad knowing that they would be dissatisfied with the injustice in the basement. It was my turn to play the video games and they needed to know about it. And so as a young child, but I want you to think about that illustration for a moment because this is an idea of what, of what lamenting is. Lamenting is crying out to the one, your father, your heavenly father, letting him know, not that he doesn't know, but, in, but processing the hardship and the difficulties that you're facing. Friends, the Psalm of Lament teach us that we are free and encouraged to run to our heavenly Father and share with him what we see is broken in the world. Lamenting is crying for help. It's not informing God of something he doesn't know. It's processing what we see. Lamenting's for our soul. It's not for God. It's for our soul. It helps us process what we're experiencing and going through. If you want to learn to lament, watch the news, then pray. Great way to learn to lament. Watch the news and then pray. Pray the news back to God. Just over the last couple of weeks, there's been some very difficult stories. The earthquake in Turkey that has just taken an immense amount of lives. The war in Ukraine These stories break your heart. They break my heart. What do we do when we hear of these stories? We pray. Cry out to God. This is the first step in lamenting, to share with God the suffering that we see in the world. Notice how David, look at verses one and two in Psalm three. Notice how David describes his suffering. He's specific. 
I think being specific in your lamenting is important. So I wanna walk you through real quick the who, the what, and the how of what David shows us about his suffering. Again, I think the main point of Psalm 3 is to teach us how to lament. So let's just look at David's example to see how we can be better lamenters. The who, David's specific here, and I think we should too. He says, my foes increase. Several times he talks about how many there are, the thousands of them. He's specific about who. Rather than blanket generalizations, tell God what you see. It's good to articulate the heartbreak you see in the world. Rather than just yelling or venting or just crying, it's good to put words to that. God, this is what I see. This is what I think. This is what I'm observing. This is what's making my heart break. Be specific. This is what David does. And then he tells us the what. What are they doing? They're attacking me. They're saying about me. They're slandering. Here David is describing the injustice. And it makes, it makes you articulate about the sin you see. So to describe exactly what you're seeing, write it out, articulate it, helps you process it. Why does the earthquake in Turkey break my heart? Write it out. Describe it, articulate it. That's good for you. Why does the war in Ukraine break your heart? Working through that process is good for you. It helps you understand. It helps you understand this. Lamenting reminds you what God hates. That's why I think this is so important. God hates sin. And he hates when his children are taken advantage of. So when you process what you see, it reminds you of what God hates. You're telling God what he hates, which is helpful for you to be reminded about his heart and his character. And then how? David says, they're mocking me. They're ridiculing me. They're, they're saying that there's no salvation for him and God. God doesn't hear his prayers God's not gonna show up. God's not gonna rescue him. They're mocking the very thing he clings to, which is salvation. They're telling him his his faith is worthless. It's useless. There's no points. He's wasting his time. His faith is in vain. It's ridiculous. So verses one and two is simply David describing his suffering to God. Again, not informing God, but in a form of processing what he sees and what he's experiencing. There's something therapeutic and healthy about expressing the hurt in your life. It's good to articulate the sin you see in yourself and in the world by bringing it to the one most offended by it. That's what lamenting is. Notice at the end of verse two, see that final word of verse two? Selah. Selah is the idea of pause or breathe. It's this break. David goes before God, sharing the hurt, the heartaches in his life, and then he pauses. It's good for him to address the pain and the suffering he's experienced, and it's good for us too. But that's only the first step of lament. The second thing we learn in Psalm 3 about lamenting is that not only do we describe the suffering, but we should cling to God's sovereignty. The next step in biblical lamenting is to cling to God's sovereignty, to cling to God's sovereignty. The beauty of lamenting is that lamenting always has a positive turning point. Do you notice that? We're a few weeks into the series. You've seen this every week that we've described a psalm for you. There's always a positive turning point. All lamenting has a moment where the person 
stops discussing their circumstances and starts talking about God and what God is like. That's biblical lamenting. Our natural instinct is just to whine and complain about our circumstances and be like, so what are you gonna do? Biblical lamenting is there's always a turn where you explain or you share your circumstances, then you talk about God. This is exactly what we see in this psalm. Notice that the first Selah, notice it again. The Selah also indicates a turning point. This is the turning point in Psalm 3. It shows us, it's right where the Selah is in verse 2. The Selah indicates where the psalm turns in a positive direction. Every psalm of Levent has one of these. Often it's indicated by the words but or yet. So as we walk through the Psalms of Lament, underline, you'll notice them. You noticed it last week. There's always this turning point in the Psalms where the psalmist will say, but here's my circumstances. Here's what I see. But I will hope in God. Yet I will trust in God. There's always this positive turn point to where they start talking about God. After you state what you know about your circumstances, take a breath And now state what you know to be true about God. That's biblical lamenting. Here's the key though. Lamenting requires knowing God's attributes. And I wonder if that's many of the reasons we're not good lamenters. Many of us know our sufferings, but we don't know our God very well. Let's see what David knows to be true about his God. Here's the who, the what, and the how of, of God's sovereignty. Number one, or the who, he calls him Lord. He cries out to his Lord. And the word Lord in the Hebrew is the word Yahweh. It's God's specific name. What Moses calls his I am. It's the self-existent one, the self-exalting one. The name Yahweh is describing God as the one who eternally is. The one who is always present. Notice that he calls him by his name. David knows God. He knows his name. He then calls God, which is very beautiful in our text. He then calls God or what God, who God is to him. God, you are my shield, my glory, and the lifter of my head. These are three things David knows to be true about his God. He wrestles with his circumstances and his circumstances quickly remind him of what he knows to be true. My foes are everywhere, but you are my shield. David has great theology about what he knows to be true about God. You are my glory. You're the one that lifts my head, points me skyward, helps me remember to look to God. Lamenting requires knowledge, requires theology, Knowledge of who God is. Blaming is the result of a lack of knowledge where you just complain and and are frustrated and are mad and how could God ever? Why would God, that just, where you just blame is a proof of a lack of knowledge. Where good lamenting is an overflow from the heart of what you know to be true from your time with God. And then what does God do? He answers me. He answers me from his holy mountain. David knows the attributes of God and the heart of God. David knows God answers his children's cries. That's an intimate relationship, an intimate knowledge. David knows God enough to know when I cry, he hears me and he listens. 
That's a strong relationship between a child and a father, right? When I know my dad cares. When I cry, he hears and he responds. That's a form of intimacy. David knows God enough to know when I cry, no matter what it's about, my father hears me and he'll respond. He answers me. And then notice at the end of verse four, the last word in the verse of four, verse four, again, another selah, a pause, a breath. Here's what I think these selahs are teaching us. It's teaching us a pattern. Here's the response of a child of God. I cry, God answers, I breathe. And what a beautiful pattern to understand. I have the freedom to cry out to God. When I cry, he answers. And it's when he answers that I'm able to breathe, to relax, to rest, to have peace. And then how does God answer his children? Look at verse five and six. It's beautiful. Please notice this, underline this, highlight this. How does God answer the cries of his children? Verse five, sleep. They sleep. He grants his children sleep. In the midst of adversity, you sleep. What a beautiful answer to our cries. Also in verse five, he sustains me. He keeps me. He holds me together when life is falling apart. What a beautiful answer to a cry for help. He holds me together when I'm crumbling. And then verse six, I will not be afraid. David has every right, every logical reason, I should say that. David has every logical reason to be terrified. And what does God answer? I will not be afraid. I give you peace. Thousands of people are hunting him down and he's asleep. He knows God's sustaining him. He's not afraid. That's a gift to children of God when you understand his sovereignty, how good he is. Notice this. God doesn't promise to take away the situation. That's not what's in our text. That's not what David assumes is the natural outcome, that all of his problems will go away. He says, no, I'll sleep. He'll sustain me and he'll grant me peace but rather God gives peace in the midst of adversity. You've experienced this. You've been there. You've either had one of these two experiences. Every single one of you in this room have had one of these two experiences. Your stomach's been in a knot. You're, you're just overcome with difficulty and trial, adversity, and you've been sleepless. You've been there. I've been there. You've also had this experience if you're a child of God. Your stomach's in a knot. Your head's a mess, you're, you're in agony, discomfort, and you had a sleepful night. You and I both know the gift of sleep. When God grants children of his who are in turmoil, rest. Philippians calls this the peace that surpasses all understanding. I shouldn't be able to sleep a wink tonight and I slept great. The peace of God that he gives to his children. How? Because he's sovereign over all things, even thousands of people hunting David's life. Lamenting reminds you and I that God is in charge and he helps you to cling to that truth. 
The last step of lamenting is in verses seven and eight. And David ends with this. He ends by proclaiming God's salvation. Isn't that beautiful? He ends by proclaiming God's salvation. He glorifies God for the salvation that God offers. He says, rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. Psalm 3 ends with a reminder that salvation only comes from God. Who? Again, who does he cry out to? He says, oh, Lord, my God. Here again, David clings to whom he knows God to be. This time he uses both words, Yahweh and Elohim. Yahweh, again, is that reminder of that God's self-existence, self-exalting. He, is, he doesn't need anything. He is the I am. And now he uses the word Elohim. The name Elohim tells us about God's strength and power. So God always is, and he's all-powerful. David re reminds himself and declares to us the salvation that comes from God. God, you are the self-existent one and the all-powerful one. That's who you are. It's interesting, too, as he comes to the end of his psalm, he says, you strike and you break. David's reminding himself of what God is capable of, God's power. I'll declare your power, not the power of thousands of soldiers. I'll declare your power, God, your omnipotent, not man, you are. Notice he doesn't ask God to do these things. He's simply reminding himself that God is capable of these things. This is what God can do. He holds all power. He's in charge of all things. God, you have the power to save. God, you have the power to strike all my enemies on the cheek. You have the power to break the teeth of the wicked. This is who you are. This is what you're like. You are capable of destroying all my enemies. And then how or why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. It makes logical sense to expect the one who owns our salvation to grant it to us. I think you and I struggle with this sometimes. I'll trust God with heaven, but not tomorrow. You ever wrestle with that? Like, I know my eternity's secure, but I'm just not sure about tomorrow. David's reminding himself and declaring to us, God is the owner of our salvation and is sovereign and, and omnipotent over all circumstances in our life. That's what biblical lamenting looks like. And then he ends with this beautiful phrase in verse eight, may your blessings be on your people. You'll not only save us, but you'll protect us. You'll care for us tomorrow and for all of eternity. I wanna just throw up these three points one more time and help you to see that I think what the psalmist is trying to teach us is this is the biblical way to process. This is the process of lamenting. How you and I should accurately or, or um, lament well, no matter what this week looked like, church, no matter what this month looked like, this is how you and I should process what, has experienced in, what we've experienced in our lives or what we've heard on the news. Do these things with whatever happens in your life. Describe the suffering, cling to God's sovereignty, proclaim God's salvation. This is the biblical process. Notice how beautiful it is. David starts the psalm by saying, I'm dead. There's thousands seeking me. They're, they're mocking me. They're taunting me. And at the end, he's like, God, you got me and you bless me. This is the beauty, the gift of lament that you and I need to learn. It changes everything about how we think and how we act and how we worry and where we look. 
So I wanna just boil this down as you see that three-step process, as you work on applying that and implementing that into your daily lives, I wanna give you some results. Because I think this is what the text teaches us well. Three results of biblical lamenting. The first one is, lamenting lifts my mind from my current suffering to my eternal salvation. See, lamenting, biblical lamenting changes what you think about. Going to God and, and sharing this and, and, and begging God for help in the result, one of the results of it is it changes what you think about. Rather than your mind just being consumed with the details or the reality of the circumstances, it changes your mind to think about God. And what a blessing that is when our minds are restless. I'm one of those guys. I lay my head on the pillow at night and my mind is just like, it might be because I drink coffee at night, I'm not sure, but I have a hard time just shutting it off. Biblical lamenting lets me sleep. So grateful for that. The second one, lamenting lifts my eyes from my mirror to the God who saves me. You and I are self-centered. Most of today, I will think about me. Biblical lamenting gets your eyes off yourself, the lifter of your head. Point your eyes skyward to remember who God is and what he's done for you. Lamenting changes what you focus on. And you and I need that so badly because we're so self-centered. We need to be reminded that God's omnipotent. We are not. We need him. And the last one, lamenting lifts my heart from my seemingly suffocating suffering to my boundless blessings. You see how the psalm ends? David addresses God and says, I'm done. Man, it's suffocating. I'm dead. There's no hope. How's the end at the end? Man, God, you are the owner of my salvation and you pour your blessings upon your children. It changes the way that, it changes what David's obsessing about. It changes where his heart is focused. You know, whatever your heart is focused on, it seems to be all-consuming, all-encompassing. God, in, in biblical lamenting, even has the ability to change what we're obsessing about. It frees us from worrying about every single circumstance, every difficult trial, and focuses our heart on God. Biblical lamenting is, changes our heart and helps us see the boundless blessings that God has poured out upon you. Just before we wrap up this morning, I want to show you a New Testament reference of this to help you see that this is a common theme throughout the Bible. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 7. And for the sake of time, I can't show you all of this, but this is just something that God has been showing me so beautifully throughout the text. Not only did David understand biblical lament, but for sure Paul did as well. You have to be a little bit familiar with Romans to understand this, but I wanna walk you through in just a minute or two, I wanna walk you through Romans chapter seven, eight, and nine. Because I think Romans seven, eight, and nine mirror Psalm three. You know, do you know Romans very well? Do you know Romans chapter seven? Romans chapter seven is a moment where Paul just addresses his sinfulness. He's just very honest and open about the sin in his own life. And I think if I were to summarize for you Romans chapter seven, I would say it's Psalm chapter three, verses one and two, where Paul is describing the problem, the, his circumstances, his suffering. And his suffering is all internal. It's all him. 
It's all, he's the problem. Let me read for you Romans chapter seven, verse 19. says this, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do, not what to do. Paul here is lamenting. He's expressing his suffering and it's his own sinful heart. Romans chapter seven is Paul going to God, sharing with him the suffering his experience, his own sinfulness. Now look at Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight is a beautiful story of God's sovereignty. And if I were to describe for you Romans chapter eight, I'd tell you it's Psalm chapter three, verses three through six, where Paul now lifts his eyes from his circumstances, his suffering to his sovereign God. Romans 8, chapter one, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. I'm a mess, but God is sovereign. He's in charge of all things. Listen to Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. You see, he moves his eyes from his suffering. It's not even compare. Doesn't even compare to the glory that will be revealed. Romans chapter eight is is Paul now looking at the sovereignty of God. And if you know of Romans chapter nine, Romans chapter nine is a beautiful explanation of God's salvation. And Romans chapter nine is just giving 100% credit to God for your salvation. No man can take any credit. All credit goes to God. If I were to summarize Romans chapter nine for you, I'd say it's Psalm chapter three, verses seven and eight where it's an explanation and a declaration of God's salvation. Listen to Romans chapter nine, verse 16. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. Who gets the credit for your salvation? All glory to God. Beautiful explanation of God's glory to us. I focus on my circumstance, the sin in my heart. I see God's sovereignty, how he saves sinners, and I declare his salvation. I proclaim his salvation to the ends of the world. That's how we lament well. And I think you and I need that this week. No matter if last week was difficult, good, hard, bad, whatever, we need this. We need to process this. And if you're not currently lamenting, get involved in somebody who is. Over the last several weeks, One of the things I've said about this series is I think it's timely. Because I'm wondering, I think I've been revealed in the last couple weeks that there's suffering in our church family. And it's easy to ignore it. So probably for many of you, you have hardships and difficulties and you need to lament well. For those of you that life's fairly easy, it's going well, it's your job to get involved in the lives of those who are. Take that process, that three simple step process that I explained to you, and go take somebody out for coffee. Take them out for lunch. If you know of somebody that's suffering, don't let them suffer alone and get involved in their life and talk to them about it. Help them. Let them briefly share their circumstances and then lift their eyes to God. Say, aren't you so grateful for what you know to be true about God? Aren't you so grateful that he's your shield? He's your glory. He's the lifter of your head. Aren't you so grateful? That's your job. That's my job. When I'm doing well, get involved in the lives of those that aren't. When I'm not doing well, practice these laments. I just want to end real quickly with a couple recommendations. How do I do this? What's this look like? Number one, learn the gift of journaling. 
journal. As I mentioned before, I'm kind of a, a vomiter when I talk, right? Like just, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible. Oh man, this is garbage. It's not articulate. It's just me rambling, right? Journaling makes me think it through. It makes me put words to pen, sit down, slow down and express what's really in my heart. Learn to journal. And then I think this is important too. Percentages matter. Psalm chapter three is eight verses. One quarter of it is David expressing his circumstances. Three quarters of it is him talking about God. Your journaling should be the same way. Go ahead, express your circumstances, and then stop. Selah. Now three-fourths of it, three-quarters of it, brag about God. That will help you uh, process the troubles in your life. Percentages matter. Number two, lament in community. Spend time with a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Man, I hope you have someone in your life that challenges you, that doesn't just let you moan and complain. I'm a big moaner and complainer, really good at it. My wife's really good at telling me to stop. I need that. You need that too. Every one of you needs a small group, people in your life who will help you, allow you to process well, allow you to share your circumstances, then say, okay, what do you know to be true about God? How does that intersect with what you're experiencing how does this make you glory? How does this make you look forward to eternal life and what God might do through it? Lament in community. And if you're not currently lamenting, help others. And then lastly, remember the gospel. The best way to lament is to remember that God loves you. And he loved you so much, he sent his one and only son, Christ, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you in your place. When you complain, remember the cross. That will set everything in perspective. Because what do you deserve? Eternal separation from God in hell. What has God done for you? He loved you so much, he sent his one and only son to die in your place. Church, can we do that right now? No matter if this week, month's been easy for you or terrible, you and I need to remember the gospel.